You are listening to the Soul Connection Duo podcast, a podcast that explores spirituality, shares vulnerable stories, brings awareness to different healing modalities, and offers hope to individuals who may be grieving a loss. I'm Alexa Mathis. And I'm Sydney Ham, and we are your hosts, also known as the Soul Connection Duo. Get ready to connect to your soul and start healing within. Today, our guest is Jana Wilson. Jana is an emotional healing educator, meditation teacher, retreat leader, public speaker, hypnotherapist, and founder of the Emotional Healing System. For the past two decades, she has taught thousands internationally in group and private retreats. Jana trained and worked with the best-selling author and physician Deepak Chopra, MD. She lives off the grid in foothills of the San Grade Cristo mountain range in Santa Fe, New Mexico, with her husband and business partner, Dr. Lance Wilson. When she is not guiding clients to heal, she enjoys hiking, yoga, and watching documentaries. Welcome to the Soul Connection Duo podcast, Jana. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me here. As I said before the podcast started, I listen to one of your shows and I would just love the format and I love the flow. So thank you. I love what you guys are up to. Thank you. We're so looking forward to just picking your brain today and learning more about the work that you do and also about your book. And we'd love to just start with a little bit of background on our guests and um, kind of how they got to where they were or they are now. So Jana, can you share with us, um, a little bit about your backstory just to begin. Sure. I, yeah, I'd love to. I am from the South, the deep South. I was born in central Florida. You probably pick up a little bit of twang in my mm-hmm. accent. <laughs> I can hear you guys accent as well, or at least yours, Alexa. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I real Bible belt, real religious um, to, you know, parents who were very um, dysfunctional. My mom was mentally ill. My father was an addict, an alcoholic, and very violent. And um, but I had a deep connection to spirit. I think, you know, growing up so biblically, and and it really set me on the this trajectory. You know, kind of a big awakening in my book. I talk about it in the prologue. Was at twelve years old. I was praying for God to save me, you know, from another fight my parents were having and just the chaos that was going on. The domestic violence was pretty intense. Um, And I'm sure you guys are aware of like adverse childhood experience, the little 10 question quiz. I score 10 out of 10. So I came from a lot of trauma and I had a spiritual, a mystical experience where I was pulled out of my body Some people say it's like a near death or astral travel, but I was just in the arms of the creator. And I was told those are not your parents and that is not your life. This is. And what I found was I was like nestled in the star nebulas and galaxy. And I just felt this peace that passed all understanding. And it woke me up so much that I went back to my, you know, Baptist church and began to say, well, well, you know, God loves all of us. And I started to really challenge the church and the the teaching. So I had a major spiritual awakening that just catapulted me, you know, at a higher, I guess, level of consciousness than anybody that was around me. And it came out of trauma. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Especially for that to happen at 12 years old is, is so young and for you to kind of jump right into that healing and awareness that, um, you know, there is that potential for you to explore these things at, at such a young age is incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, Sydney, I, um, I feel like at that point it was kind of like, you know, I'm a reincarnationist. I studied with Dr. Brian Weiss who wrote many lives, many masters and, and I teach, I, I do hypnotherapy and regression and part of my practice. And of course I didn't, I wasn't raised that way, you know, at that point, but I believe in retrospect, looking back that my soul, you know, chose those parents. That was kind of the big thing that helped me heal and get on this journey was reframing the trauma from that lens 
And I believe that experience was all maybe predestined, maybe a part of all of it to remind me, hey, you know, you signed up for this and you're here for a reason because after that, I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, it's kind of like a, once a mind's expanded, it can never go back to its original state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it seems so often that we have guests that it really is these traumatic experiences that are the catalyst for them to make a change in their lives or start to see the world in a different way. And I know that was both of our experiences too. And it wasn't as maybe um, dramatic in the sense of like having that one moment of awakening for um, what the trauma was that we went through that's kind of led us here. But um, it's, yeah, just so interesting to hear those experiences of other people having that awakening moment, whether it is a um, like near-death experience or in your case, experiencing so much trauma that it really just blasted you open to this other realm or world or whatever you want to call it so so cool thank you for sharing that and thank you for sharing um, your experience of your childhood too I'm sure that really does help so many people that maybe have similar experiences that they've gone through yeah you know I think I mean in so many years of doing this this is I'm going on 20 years of of being a teacher and being trained and you know, healer, heal thyself. We go on our own journey, right. To heal ourselves. And then we, you know, I was looking in my thirties, like, Hey, somebody has the answers. I need like a retreat. Retreats were kind of unknown back then. Like no one was doing really retreats. And, and I began to seek out my teachers, you know, and, and get really serious about being on this path and, and, you know, I was much younger when I began to view my childhood as possibly, um, you know, that it was all by divine appointment. Like I, you know, that my mother's mental illness, for example, she would go into, she would attempt suicide. Now she was never really serious. So it was always light cuts and, but it was still, you know, of course, very traumatic for me as a child. Second grade was the first time I remember going in the bathroom and seeing her sitting there with razor blades and blood trickling down her wrist. And, um, you know, I, I had this idea that, you know, one day when I get older, I'll take care of you, mommy. And in hindsight, when I look back and I began to meet all those traumas, and really find little Jana and go rescue her from that. I, I saw it like my mom would come back from electroshock treatment, say she'd be in a hospital and she would be in an, you know, what now we know is neuroplasticity. Her brain would be rewired. She would be in a higher state of consciousness. And we're talking like the early seventies. She's teaching me to meditate. She's teaching me astrology. She's teaching me you know, a lot of esoteric teachings about near-death experiences, Dr. Raymond Moody's work. And, you know, I'm just a little girl and my mind was just being expanded. Right. And so she would go back, you know, to her normal state of consciousness, allow my father back at the home and the chaos would ensue again. But for me, I would be having these mystical experiences. The one at 12 was the most profound, but I had many of them prior to that. Um, so I, I look at, you know, trauma as it's not so much the events that happen. Of course, it's our meaning and the interp interpretation that we make about it. And as soon as I was able to shift that and really see that my soul was probably a pretty badass soul to have chose such chaos, right? Um, yeah, my voice, I, my throat chakra opened. I began to have a voice. I began to talk about the elephant in the room and and really, you know, confront my parents and all that dysfunction. I'm really curious, Janet, did you ever have or notice um, like physical symptoms when you had your chakras closed off? Well, um, that's a good question. I, I don't think so. I, I certainly the trauma. So 
I I experienced, as I said, you know, extreme circumstances and not to give a lot of spoiler alerts. I mean, the book is really a vulnerable expose of childhood trauma and conditioning, but I'm writing it from the place of where it's a prescriptive memoir. So I'm writing it from the place of where I am now so that I can go back for the reader and really let them know what was happening at, at those times. Now I started wetting the bed. At, at eight or nine after an extreme trauma involving a gun incident that was, you know, you're, when you're faced with thinking you're going to die, you know, it was so much um, chaos that I began to wet the bed again. And, you know, they didn't know how to handle trauma back then. I mean, we're, you know, we're now finally with, you know, the body keeps score and Gabe Armante's work. And there's so much somatic work, you know, Peter Levine, and there's some wonderful teachers now paving the way for us to really bring light of awareness to this. But I'm not sure that other than I was just a scared, frightened child that didn't speak up, right? Because I was afraid. But after the event, when I got pulled out of my body and I saw it was much bigger than this little child in a provincial little small town labeled white trash in a trailer, that I was this big soul and I was here for a purpose. I knew that, you know, it was like I got my voice and I call it the dragon slayer in the book. I'm like the dragon slayer awakened because then I was able to go to my mother and father and confront them with their hypocrisy. And, and actually that was the point at 12 years old when I did that, that my dad for the first time hit me. He had never done that before. He had abused my mother and my brother, but never me. And that was what woke my mother up and she never let him come back. Yeah. I was like, I was just curious about the the physical symptoms because I know that um, we've, we've heard that from a lot of our, um, people that we've had on as well, but I mean, that's amazing to be able to, um, like go inward and, or I, I guess the sense that I see it is the, the going inward piece of finding your own true power and really being able to make those shifts within, um, yourself and therefore within your family too. And like that, those changes in your family happened basically due to your actions that you took after finding your power. So um, that's really amazing to hear. Obviously you went, you went through a heck of a lot to get to that place. But yeah, there, yeah. yeah. But to find that and harness it and use it is I think just a sentiment to show people that what we are truly capable of doing, if we are able to take that um, information and, and make changes in our lives from it. Yeah. And I think too, Alexa, to your point, I did have a lot of gastrointestinal issues um, as a child, you know, our gut is our power center. Obviously we know now serotonin, most serotonin is produced in the gut, the gut and the brain connection and everything. So, you know, my little body was, you know, experiencing a lot of chaos and trauma and I stored it all in my power center, right. In my gut, I, I um, probably had irritable bowel syndrome or, you know, I probably had all kinds of, of ailments. And, um, but my grandmother was known that I would have definitely been diagnosed with attention, you know, ADHD or something. They didn't, you know, diagnose that back then because I was so anxious and she would cut off little pieces of a Valium and give it to me. I mean, I'm little, like seven years old. She's giving, you know, to try to calm me down. And, um, you know, I was just a hot mess all the time. <laughs> My goodness. Thank you so much for sharing all those really vulnerable parts of of your childhood and um I think the more that we can be raw and share our stories with other people is is so helpful for other people who you know like you said you kind of found your voice at 12 years old which is amazing but for a lot of people it takes a really long time to find that right and having these connections and being able to share our difficult experiences and things with others is kind of what helps us heal 
and and other people as well. So thank you for coming on here and speaking so vulnerably with us, but also in your book, although we haven't had a chance to read it yet, I def- it's definitely on our list of, of books that we want to um, dive into. So thank you again for that. And I think the point you're ta- touching on too about um, trauma and it, it really does break us open um, and kind of is that portal to discovering all these um, really amazing healing modalities and other things that are out there. Um, like you said, this happened when you were, you were 12. So quite young. I'm, I'm curious as to kind of what your journey looked like from that point, obviously through school. Um, Cause I don't think it's something that a lot of kids are probably like aware of or practicing as well as like maybe through your twenties before you said you started doing the retreats in your thirties is I believe what you had said, but I'm yeah. just curious about kind of what your, your journey looked like through those I think critical and also really difficult years. Yeah, Sydney. So after the 12 year old, you know, that happened at 12, you know, now I'm going through puberty, 13, 14, I'm in high school. It was, I talk about it in the book. I mean, it was complete chaos, right? Because I had already had, you know, intergenerational trauma. I had precognitive trauma. Um, I'm a trauma informed coach. I, you know, the, the trauma that I experienced, even in the womb, you know, we talk a lot about parents, you know, mothers who are drug addicted or alcohol fetal syndrome. What about women who are depressed or being beaten or not in safe environments? You know, that baby's feeling all of that. They're getting a steady diet of cortisol. And so I write a chapter early. The first chapter is called womb. And it's, you know, obviously it's very poetic, but it's, it's from the perspective of, of not feeling safe and I don't want to be born. You know, I'm feeling bumps and kicks and moaning and crying and, and, you know, it's scary. And I was born breech with a cord wrapped around my neck. And during my hypnotherapy training with Dr. Weiss, I discovered I did it. And I believe that I absolutely believe that I believe that. I did not want to be born. I mean, you know, and so when it was time to be born, I just flipped, wrapped that cord. And I was like, thought I was good. You know, it wasn't, it's 1965. I mean, the odds of a child being born breached with a cord wrapped around are very slim, but (laughs) spirit had, (laughs) had something for me. And, you know, I, so yeah, at 12 years old, I, I, you know, I got, I think cannabis, I talk about that in my book, was my saving grace in high school. It was the only thing that I could get through. Um, I grew up in a town, you know, that is kind of a, a term like redneck, you know, a lot of fighting, girls fighting, chaos. Well, I was used to that. That's what we did at home. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, that's what I was doing too. I I was um, pretty smart because I was awakened. So I could really had this keen ability because of trauma, and you guys probably can understand this, you begin to read the room really well, read people's behavior, you're always anticipating. So I I had uh, an ability to point out, now I'm paid for it, back then I was vilified for it. <laughs> but I had this ability to, you know, point out people's shadows. And so that didn't go over too well. So I, you know, caught myself in a lot of fights, but I was the first in my family I stayed pretty focused um, to graduate high school. My mom and dad didn't graduate. My brother didn't graduate high school. And not only did I graduate high school, I went on to college. And so, you know, I was breaking lots of cycles. And then once I got to college, I was there for two years. A lot of, you know, I got raped. I mean, a lot of more trauma because, hey, I was bringing with me this core false belief I call you know false beliefs like an operating system that mom and dad gave me you're not valuable so I just showed the world you know I'm not valuable that's what happens to girls like me I never even considered going to the police when I was raped you know like that's just what happens to girls like me so you know there was a lot of shame and I was running from it trying to hide and I didn't want anyone to know where I went to school in South Florida about my life in Central Florida. I didn't want to know that I was trailer trash and you know I thought well I'm a cute enough girl I can just put on a mask and pretend. And then of course that you know didn't last very long. 
and um, just a series of, of angels, you know, that were so guided and protected. And, you know, my connection to spirit is, is so deep. And it's, you know, when you practice psycho-spirituality, I mean, we can't meet the whole person just through the mind. We've got to help people find their way back to their heart and to, to their divinity. And um, so I had that experience and it was coming back and I got a job with Maybelline and I was traveling around the country, which was phenomenal because I was, you know, I got to meet Linda Carter and I, I, I mean, I, it was better than college because I was learning, right. I was going to different cities and I was out of this small town of Florida and now I'm traveling all over the country and, and um, a book fell off a book. Uh, I was in a little bookstore in San Francisco and a book fell off um, a shelf when I went into this old bookstore in the financial district and I picked it up and, and it was written in 1935. So all these synchronicities would start happening. And this book was called you it's out of print. It's very expensive to buy a copy now, but this book guided my life. It was only 62 pages and it, it was about, it said, the most important subject in the world is to really know oneself, to fall in love with oneself. And I was like, oh, like, you know, I, I don't like myself. I'm trying to be somebody I'm not, you know, I was very fake. And, and um, I read this book and one of the chapters, you guys, the law of attraction, <laughs> 1935. I'm like, you know, when law of attraction, when secret came out and all of that, like, I was like, I've been studying that for years, you know, I mean, it woke me up again. And then a teacher would appear on my path because I was yearning. I was so open and, you know, I'm living in Miami in the eighties when I came back from that tour and um, I'm, you know, 20, 21, 22. I had had a couple of abortions and I, you know, I didn't really have any shame about it or anything. I, I, you know, I, again, I was operating from this false belief of I'm not valuable. So, you know, I just did whatever it took. And then I got pregnant at 22 and, and I knew my teacher was coming. I knew that this was a pivotal point in my life to put away the drugs and the sex and the partying and all that. Cause I was just kind of dipping my toe into spirituality and metaphysics. And at that point, and then I get pregnant and then game on, I'm like, Oh my God, I got to figure my stuff out. Cause I am not going to bring that child into the world the way my parents did. And I was single, I was single for seven years, but boy, I was on a path. I found unity um, center for spiritual living um, it used to be called science of mind. I just became voracious and teachers appeared. Dr. Weiss appeared. He was in Miami. Uh, Marianne Williamson um, returned to love a course in miracles. So as I kept opening, just when the student's ready, right, the teacher appears and it just, you know, catapulted me on this journey. And so by the time I'm in my thirties is when I met Debbie Ford, I'd been a student of Deepak for years. You know, Deepak was talking quantum physics and a lot of Vedanta and Vedic science and it was over my head, but my soul got it. You know, have you ever read something and you're like, I don't quite know there, but it feels freeing. I really like how I'm feeling when I read this, but my mind's got caught up with it yet. <laughs> So Debbie Ford came out on stage, it was 2003 and said, hi, I'm Debbie Ford and I'm a bitch. And I looked at my girlfriend and I thought, oh my God, me too, but I'm trying to learn how not to be. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that was a game changer. I drank the Kool-Aid. I ended up selling my home in Florida, moved to California, studied with her. My ex-husband became partners. I, you know, traveled the world with her. I really, you know, said, I want to understand my shadow and I want to understand how to integrate and love and accept all of me. And I dabbled in inner child work 
And so with a a teacher back then, he's passed away now, but um, he was on a lot of PBS. Uh, John Bradshaw was his name. He was a PhD. And he talked a lot about healing the shame that binds us from family of origin. So I was really interested in all of that. And um, so I incorporated what Debbie taught and and related it with my inner child instead of doing subpersonality work which is what her book dark side of the lack chasers is based on um i kind of tweaked it to what resonated for me which was loving little jana wow thank you for sharing all of that that's amazing and i think um you're just kind of touching on the book thing too it's amazing how many of our guests come on here and it's a book comes across your path, whether they're in an old bookstore or find it wherever. And that's kind of what catapults them on to their journeys. It's we've had, we've had so many guests with that similar experience. It's, it's so cool. So yeah, I love, I love hearing about that. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm -hmm. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, it's so interesting to hear that because like Sid said, it's not a new story for us to hear. <laughs> um, and it, it just makes you think like how much um, words that were written by somebody can really change your mm-hmm. life in so many ways. And mm-hmm. yeah, like, I think that's why it's important that people who are drawn to writing a book like yourself really just do it and put it out there because you never know whose life it's going to ultimately exactly. change. Exactly. I had um, a young lady who was interviewing me and she said, you know, that she said, you didn't use the word abuse or abusers in your book. She said, I went back and searched the Kindle app to make sure and I thought, oh, like that was interesting to me. And I said, it wasn't intentional, but as a child, I didn't see my parents as abusers, right? I didn't know that word. They're my, they're my world. Like I loved them, you know, they were not my resource for stability and safety for sure. My grandmother was and my own connection to spirit. At that time, I related it more in a Christianity viewpoint, you know, in Jesus. And I still feel like I have a close relationship with Christ's teachings and that level of consciousness. But um, it wasn't intentional, you know, to leave that out. And she had said, you know, sharing so vulnerably, you know, like about, you know, a lot of the symptomatic things that happened as a result of being sexualized. Of course, I began to act that out at a young age, Um, show my private parts to boys, little neighborhood boys, you know, begin to, you know, just expose and exploit myself. And she said, you know, there were so many extremely vulnerable parts of the book, you know, like when you went back to wetting the bed and just all the things, the sexualization, anything. She said, you know, um, was it difficult to write those or consider including them? And I thought not at all, because truly when you meet yourself, you're an open book, there's nothing to hide. Right. And that's what I want people to be inspired by the book that, wow, this woman shared it all. And yeah, it might trigger some people, but Hey, I do somewhat of a trigger warning at the beginning, but life is full of triggers. I mean, we're adults. We've got to learn how to manage the triggers. And how are we ever going to heal if we don't allow ourselves to be triggered? Yeah. And not only the triggering piece, but the part about really sharing vulnerably, like I don't think we can truly connect as humans if we're not sharing the raw pieces of things we've experienced. And I've found that so much in terms of, just Sid and I having this podcast like how do we share vulnerably vulnerably and um like we always get way better feedback on the episodes where we are truly able to share those pieces of ourselves or our guests are able to do -hmm. the same because I think even if somebody hasn't had that same experience, they can relate to some parts of the feelings or the things we were going through at the time, right? And as humans, connection is something we're always seeking. So it's so important to really share where you're able to and share truthfully and honestly, like in any capacity when when you're sharing your story. 
I think it was the gift of shadow work. You know, when I, if I go to the question and ask myself, well, what do I think someone's going to think of me, right? That I was, you know, promiscuous, that I cheated on my husband, that, um, you know, because I share all of these things. Well, I just go to the worst case scenario. If I can make peace with that within myself and love and forgive and accept myself, I don't care what they think of me. Right. So, I mean, that's the gift of meeting yourself, right. Is saying that, you know, this sweet little girl, and I always have clients, you know, do pictures, but here's a picture of little Jana. I mean, she, you know, the healing, I think writing the book, you guys, I, I think I thought, even though I knew intellectually, listen, you never arrive healings like an ongoing layer, right it brought up a lot and then putting it out in the world. It took a while. You hire a publicist, you get it out in the world, you do these podcasts. And recently I had um, a medicine experience, you know, cause I, I, I'm always on my own journey as well. And I was kind of, you know, I always tell clients life is, is like an upward spiral. We go a little higher and then we drop down again. We're not as low as we were at the first start. You know, we just keep growing like this, right? It's an evolutionary process. And I was in one of the low parts, kind of a dark night of the soul. I think the book, the vulnerabilities, the reviews have been fantastic, but there's some, there's been a couple that are like, oh, you know, and so I've got to do the work. Thankfully, I have the tools. And so I um, did some plant medicine and it just it, little Jana was just like, this is, is so vulnerable for me. And, and I don't think, I think you got so busy in your twenties and thirties of surviving. This is what she showed me on the medicine of surviving all of that trauma. And then wanting to support others to heal that I need you to listen to me again and, and stop pushing me so harshly. And be kind. So I've kind of stepped back a little in my work schedule and really tuning in and listening to her more and, you know, just being gentle with myself. Yeah. I love that analogy. I just want to repeat it again, the upward spiral. I love that. I think that's so a lot of us, I feel like we'll refer to like a downward spiral, right? Like we're just and I, I love that. It's a good recognition of, you know, all these or in life obstacles will come our way at, at some mm-hmm. point typically. And I think that's just a really beautiful way of looking at it. And I think also too, like um, even through my trauma, it really broke me open and it's made me become a much more open person and someone who also doesn't really care what people think about me, especially through doing this podcast too. It's like really changed um, kind of my viewpoint. And I think it's, we're, we're so used to like wanting to have that acceptance and whatever from others and looking outward and being people pleasers. And I think that's so huge is, you know, the only person that really matters is, is, is you, if you love yourself, then that's the most important thing. And I think that that's so beautiful that you brought that up as well, because it's something I've really been working on really hard through my trauma and my healing. And um, yeah, it's just best for yourselves. And if if people don't like it, then that's 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 a them problem, not, yeah. not an us problem. So I love that. And the way, you know, the way out of that is just asking, you know, we don't really care what people think. And Debbie used to say this to me. It was a really eye-opening like epiphany like it it was actually shifted everything because she said you know you think you care what people think Jana but you really don't and I said okay explain and she said well think of a time where people are giving you lots of compliments and you're in a lot of self-judgment do you accept the compliment of course not I you know I'll do something and push the compliment away right I'll self-deprecate. I can't accept the compliment. She's like, yeah, because you don't really care what they think because inside you're judging yourself for something. It could have been a meal you cooked. Oh, this was so good. Oh no, I didn't have the right recipe. I could, if you really cared what people think, you'd be like, oh yeah, tell me more. But as soon as they criticize you, you get upset and you think you cared what they thought. Again, it's because they're just shining the mirror, right? The light to show you that you agree with what they're saying. 
So do the work, meet yourself that, oh yeah, there's a part of me, you know, we are in psychosynthesis. It's, you know, like a 360 degree personality. We have every part, light and dark. And when you can make peace with the parts of yourself, I mean, I hated the bitch in me. I didn't want to be angry. I just wanted to be the spiritual, loving, you know, spiritual bypasser. But then, you know, around my family, boy, I would rage or I would, you know, around people close to me, they would get to see the real Jana. And then, of course, I would recoil and judge myself and hate myself. Why did I behave that way? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just be loving and kind all the time? Because that's spiritual bypassing. We shouldn't be loving and kind all the time. Sometimes we need a fierce no and, you know, put somebody in their place. Deepak used to say, Sometimes the appropriate response is to slap someone, <laughs> but that was hard for me, you know? And so I, I've definitely made peace with that. And, and, um, you know, I have tools, the tools I teach, and I believe they work this emotional healing system that finally, after so many years of study, I began to see, oh, there's foundational work and that is meditation right? We have to, we have to have mindfulness practice. We have to learn how to be in the present moment. I'm going through Eckhart Tolle's teacher training right now for teacher of presence. And Eckhart's been my teacher for about 17 years. And, and, you know, it's, it, so there's been times in my life where I'm just like, oh, it's so simple. It's so boring. He's just, oh, but it's the truth. If we can't live and put our attention in this present moment, how are we going to create what we want? So I began to see a theme, you know, there's a foundation. It most important thing, people have to learn how to just be. We're human beings, right? Breathe, you know, feel the felt sense of the body. We hold so much trauma in the body and you know, I really have embodiment practices. So I became a yoga teacher. I've been doing yoga for 36 years and I just, you know, and then I started to understand the psyche and most people don't understand this. You go to therapists and you talk for 50 minutes, an hour, right? You're not really getting down to the nitty gritty to the root cause of why you're suffering. And so I thought you take somebody with some fair amount of intelligence, even though they've had trauma, you can teach them essential tools and skills that if they do with practice and, you know, discipline, then they'll arrive at a place where they don't need therapy, mm -hmm. right? They can be their own therapist. The answers are within us. We just have to know the right questions to ask. Mm -hmm. I think that's been like a huge part of my healing journey, honestly, too. Like I think um, talk therapy is great. And that's kind of where I started with mine. But I think, um, and I've talked about it lots on this podcast, everyone's probably getting tired of me repeating myself. But um, it, it was once I started doing them more like kind of somatic healing energy work, other things other than just talk therapy is when I really did start to notice big shifts in my own healing, um, the physical manifestations of trauma I was experiencing, and everything. So I think that's huge. And I think a lot of people as well, their journey does start kind of, um, or their healing journey really does start through the power of yoga. So um, it's such an incredible modality that um, if, yeah, we just need to make time for it in our lives. It's such a beautiful, yeah. easy, easy thing to do. So, yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alexa, you too, are you a yogi? Uh, currently, no. I go to the gym and lift heavy weights rather oh, than do okay. yoga. <laughs> yeah, that's my. I that's do my that therapy. too. I like that too. <laughs> I don't do yoga as much as I should, but it's something. My goal for this next year is to definitely incorporate it more into my life because we've yeah. had so many people on here talk about it, and I do know the power of it. I just it's easy to get caught up in like the busyness of life, and I. I'm hoping this next year I can kind of step back a little bit from that and start to focus on incorporating more of that into my daily routine because mm -hmm. I think it's so important. But and there's uh, some really great teachers on YouTube on Gaia. If you get a you know, subscription to Gaia, there's amazing teachers. Um, you know, my vacation time is usually going to a yoga retreat, so I'm getting ready to go with my teacher, Saul David Ray. He's a a pretty big international yoga teacher and I'll be with him in Mexico in a month. And, 
Yeah, it's, you know, when you're, when you commit your life to wanting to help others, you have to get to a place where you realize you've got to continually be working and healing yourself. My husband as a physician and the book, you guys, will, I think you'll love this story. So I'm 46. I realized my first marriage is over. He's drinking. It's, you know, I've, I've, I, I teach women to love and honor themselves and I'm not, I'm being a caretaker. I'm in this codependent relationship. He's a good guy. He's not like my dad or anything. And he provided well for me and my daughter. Um, but I wasn't happy and I wasn't in love and I knew I deserved more. So I was feeling kind of imposter syndrome, right? Cause here I'm in my forties. I've been doing this work for a while, a decade. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not living the teaching. And so finally he gets a DUI and that was it for me. I mean, once that happened, it was easy. I was like, okay, I'm done here. So now I find myself in my late forties alone so of course, you know, I start terrorizing myself. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be alone like my mother. And, you know, I, I'm just doing a lot of shadow work, desperate gold digger. I'm, I talk about it in the book. Um, and so I get really clear. I've done a law of attraction training back in 2005 and it was an Abraham teaching and it was all about scripting out your ideal future. And so I wrote out my ideal relationship and I had worked on it from say 46 years old till when I met him at 48. So it was about two and a half years. And in that time, I went back to emotionally behaving maybe like I was in my twenties again, because I'd been with my ex-husband for almost 20 years. So, you know, my, from my twenties, so I'd kind of grown up with him and raising my daughter and, so I, I meet this younger guy, he's like 10 years younger, and I kind of have this crazy affair with him. I'm still spirits, like you're still, it's daddy issues, you know, I'm still working through all my stuff. And anyway, I finally in that relationship and, and I still haven't got to the place where I fully love and accept myself. I still am yearning for somebody to be with, in relationship with. And when you're in relationship for that many years, it's hard to be alone. Part of me liked it, but then, you know, I wanted relationships. So I'm in with one of my teachers, Sally Kempton. So are y'all familiar with Sally? Mm, I'm not. Sally Kempton. She's, she wrote a book called the goddesses of Shakti. So she is a teacher of, um, of like tantric yoga and um, meditation and stuff. And so I went to her meditation retreat at, at Esalen, which is in Big Sur. I'd always wanted to go there and it was a really expensive retreat and I've saved up and I go to this retreat and the whole time, every time we're meditating six hours a day, I would come out of meditation and I would hear leave. And I'm like, I don't want to leave. I, I want to be here. Like, I like this. I mean, I was having pretty crazy experiences and, but finally on day three, I, I, it was like a screaming voice, leave. So I left and the next day I got on a plane and I headed home a plane. I was not supposed to be on four days early and I'm sat next to my husband and my now husband and that desire statement that I wrote for my ideal partner, he was everything. And then some, and, but the night before I got on that plane, this little sweet little five-year-old girl appeared to me because I think after meditating for so many days, I was really clear and I was entertaining thoughts again. Oh, I'm going to be alone. Look at everybody else out to dinner. They have partners. Why don't I have anybody? But then all of a sudden she appeared and she was like, you have me. And then all of a sudden I saw little Jana there and, and it became, it dropped from here to here. And the experience I had was, and I share about it in the book. It was so profound. It was like, she wanted to show me, look all that you went through and look at who you are today. And it was like the most love that I could ever feel for myself. Like I was like, dang, I'm a badass. I went through a lot. And here I am at the 49 years old and, and I'm good. 
I'm making good money. My career is meaning and purpose. I'm helping people. I, I finally felt like an adult, you know, um, I had my own home and everything. I didn't have a man and, and I just felt really amazing. And I knew at that point that whether I met somebody or not, I'd be fine. I loved me. I loved my life. I loved where I went. I loved what I did. And so I got on the plane the next day and I was different. I was different because I wasn't looking outside for someone to come complete me. I had this inner knowing that I was never alone, that she was always with me, that she was so proud of me, that she was like, you went through so much and look who you are today. And, and I just had this feeling of just Rumi says, by God, when you see the beauty of yourself, you'll fall down in awe. It was like that poem. And I just got on that plane and I helped somebody with their seatbelt. And I just had so much love, you know, and I felt very attractive, you know, like everybody was smiley at me and looking at me. And I just was probably just effulgent with light and my husband was sitting it was a southwest in the first seat and I was one of the last people to board because I had just bought my ticket the night before and I sat on the I said is a seat available and he said yes and I didn't say anything to him I thought he was handsome but I wasn't hooking you know my energy wasn't flirtatious it wasn't it was like I'm whole I'm complete I don't need anything I have a lot to give but I don't need anything and so about halfway, it was only hour flight, 30 minutes in, you know, he starts chatting with me. The first question I asked him, because I have my mantra tattooed on my arm and he asked me what it meant. And I said, well, that's personal. And then he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I thought, well, you have it right there, Jana, where everybody can see it. So I said, it's my meditation mantra. Do you meditate? And he said, yes. And that was my number one thing on my list. And I was like, oh, so then I was interested and we started chatting and we went on a date, I think four nights later. And we both knew that night that it was like, it was almost like we had been together and we remembered each other and it was just, I'm home. Like we both knew. And within two years of meeting on that plane, which we just celebrated our eight year anniversary, that was September 24th that we met on the plane and um, we married two years later. Oh, that's Sydney's birthday. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it's oh, a very story. special day. <laughs> yeah. <Sure. laughs> I yeah. absolutely love that story. It's like, well, I think for Sydney and I, we're both 29 right now and we both exited relationships this past year. And some of that was resonating in a sense of like, obviously, you were um, a bit older than us when you were divorced. But I think like, there's this sense that as, especially as females, I think like, if you do want children, um, you, you start to think about those things of like, mm -hmm. I'm not in a relationship at this age, like, will the, these things happen? And if there are things that I want, um, and I know that like, a lot of my friends are going through that right now. Um, but that piece about loving yourself first and finding the person that's going to meet you at that point versus finding someone to fill that up is so, so huge in terms of like, I see that with some of my friends currently where they're not in relationship and there is this like need to have somebody fill whatever it is that they feel they're missing and to not we're always that. in relationship yeah so I would say <laughs> don't say you're not in relationship because you are you're in relationship with yourself with your emotional that little girl and if you keep telling her we're not in a relationship and we may not be when you know that that your beloved is out there and when I before I met Lance I kept calling him in I 
you know, I made my imagination, I talk about it in my book, my imagination is my superpower. As a child, it's what got me through, you call it disassociation or whatever, but my imagination was very fertile. And I would go to places and I would manifest amazing things. When you read the book, you're going to be pretty astounded by some of the stuff I manifested, like 16 years old, being in Costa Rica and meeting the president you know, I'm poor. Like, how did that happen? Meeting, you know, rubbing elbows with a foreign dignitary. Um, Elvis Presley invited my mom and I up to his suite, you know, when I was eight years old. I mean, there were some really interesting things and it was all my imagination. So calling Lance in, I had to get to the place where I knew I deserved it. Right. And I did all that work. I deserve a lover. I deserve my beloved. I know he's out there. I know we've been together before. And he's doing his work just like I am. And so I would cook dinner and I would imagine he's kissing me on my neck and he would be there and we would dance to Diana crawl. And, and, you know, I would make love to myself and I would imagine he was making love to me. And I just continued to just live more in that amount. I didn't get on dating apps. I did not, you know, I just knew I trust spirit to provide for me financially every area. I was not trusting relationship. And that was my last piece. It's like, I still wanted to control it. But as soon as I knew, and I started to call him in and say, I know you're doing it. He lived an hour away from me in Albuquerque and I was in Santa Fe and he was going through a divorce and he was just learning shadow work and he was, he was doing all this work just like I, so when he showed up, you guys, it was so easy. Cause I had already imagined the things he would say, the loving, you know, words, the telling me I'm beautiful and how happy he is and all of that. And so of course, when he showed up, I didn't do the old behaviors of pushing him away, oh, he's too nice. He's too, you know, I need a bad boy. <laughs> that was the old Jana. Um, I was like, no, I deserve this. This feels good. Mm -hmm. oh. I love that story. It's so good. And September 24th, what a great day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'm at that point too in, in my own healing from kind of this past relationships. And I've always been someone who was in long-term relationships and I've kind of gotten to the point now where I'm like I'm very content right now being single and doing the things that I want to do that lift me up and I can heal on my own terms and I've gotten to the point where yes obviously it's hard some days when all your friends are getting married and having kids but I have become a little bit more optimistic like you said instead of being like you know why am I alone blah blah blah, blah. it's you know I know the right person will come across my path when it's time and I'm still healing. I still have things that I'm working on. And I think it's so beautiful. Like you said, your husband was going through a divorce and he had started doing his shadow work as well. And I think it's important to find someone who has also either been through whatever that's hard. I mean, we've all been through things that are hard, but mm -hmm. it's important that they're also taking the time to do their own work. And, and you're not the only one who's done the work. It's there's two pieces to that puzzle. Right. So I think yeah. that that is so I don't know I love that story Alex and I were over here just like smiling ear to ear resonating yeah. through that whole thing it's so beautiful so thank you so much for sharing that um and you and your husband also host retreats as well I would love to just touch on that to kind of maybe start to wrap this up a little bit because I was taking a look at it and they look just amazing so would oh, love for you to be able to share yeah, so I had a dream, you know, of having my own retreat center. And for many years, I, I, you know, worked only on the phone. And I, I then, you know, in 2011, launched VIP private one on one retreats, because there's people who don't want to be in a group setting, they want to get down to the nitty gritty, they want to explore their childhood, they want to understand why they continue to be addicted to suffering and creating those same habitual patterns. And so I launched the VIP experience and then I began to envision 10 plus acres off the grid where I lived at gardens. And then I had like a retreat center, some kind of facility on the land. And, um, and it beautifully just kind of, you know, I had a retreat center. I was paying a lot of money for clients travel from here to here from all over the world. So I was doing that. And then I was still doing group retreats. So I would do Florida, California, 
you know, I did Hawaii, I would, you know, I did France, I would do these group retreats, but really my passion was working one-on-one with people and really, you know, and um, so I meet Lance and I told him, I said, I have this vision. He's a physician, he's a physician leader. So he's like a CEO, president of medical groups. And so he was busy, you know, working lots of hours and he was really inspired that, you know, I just had this idea to create, you know, this business. And I just, you know, took the risk and put myself out there. And um, this property came available and we have 11 acres. We have a 2,600 square foot. We call it the healing barn because it was a barn. It's been totally converted. It's beautiful. If you look at pictures, guys will have to come out. It's gorgeous place to stay and just do even a solo retreat, right? Like it's so, has a yoga studio, has an outdoor cowboy bath. Um, under the Milky Way and the stars. And it's, it's pretty spectacular. People love it. And I have a client here now. And um, yeah, so I, and you know, that's my, he's co-authoring the book with me now, uh, the emotional healing system. I really feel like having the credibility of a physician is really powerful because he gets things like neuroplasticity and epigenetics and things that's happening in our body as we transform, right? Our beliefs and our behavior, what happens internally. So it's a beautiful combination, the two of us together the masculine and the feminine. And, you know, so the offering is just continuing, you know, as we grow and evolve and keep up leveling in that upward spiral, we, you know, just keep giving our gifts and talents. And that's what we're here for. We came into this world, innocent and pure with one thing. We believed anything was possible. And it is when we believe in ourselves, right? When we value ourselves and this little girl now took all her lemons and made the best, sweetest tasting lemonade. And, and that's what I want to inspire people that when you learn to love and listen to your emotions and value them and stay centered in your heart, then anything is possible, you know, attracting your beloved, creating a career that's, you know, gives you meaning and purpose. It's all possible. Yeah. And I think, well, I know just hearing your story and listening to you speak about these things you've brought into your life is it's truly inspirational to hear that and to just remember that we are capable of whatever it is we desire. And those thoughts are there for a reason. And it's because those things are already yours as long as you're continuing on that right path. Right. So thank you for that reminder. And thank you so much for joining us today, Jana. Um, yeah, I'd love to um, just allow our listeners to hear again a little bit about um, your book, where they can find it, as well as your other offerings. Yeah, I'd love to share. So if you, you know, of course, Amazon has a lion's share of all the books, so you can go to Amazon. It's also available, you know, at local bookstores, they can order it and and such. If you go to JanaWilson.com, you can also purchase it for me and I can sign a copy. There's a short video of Lance and I and our story and our wedding day, because we put together a video sharing how we met. So it's from his perspective and my perspective going back and forth. So it's really sweet. And um, Emotional Healing Retreats is my company. And if you're interested in joining us for a retreat, we also have a teacher training. I train others in this work. And yeah, sky's the limit. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think, I mean, Lex and I would love to come down and do that one day. There's so many things on our list from people we've met on our our podcast. We're going to have to start actually planning some things, but I was taking a look at it. It looks incredible. So anyone who's interested should definitely take a peek at your website. And um, just last thing, do you have any final thoughts or messages for our audience to wrap up this really lovely conversation that we've already had with you? Yeah. I mean, I think if I could say one thing, you know, is find a picture I've shown, you know, the ladies, if you're watching on the video, you've seen a few times, even on my, my, you know, phone, I have a picture of myself. I make this little girl, my emotional self, because that's all the inner child is so real that it's as if she's with me all the time. And I, I'm not perfect at it, but 
if you could just maybe find a picture of yourself when you were really innocent around five or six and just start to talk to her, what would she like to wear today? Or he, what would they like to eat? You know, how are they feeling? What are you thinking or saying to yourself that's causing them to feel anxious or fearful? Begin the dialogue with yourself so that that it's not some abstract concept anymore. It's actually a real little child that's always with you. Um, the author of The Alchemist, I think it's Paolo Cello, the Brazilian. There's a beautiful documentary called The Power of the Heart. And in it, I love it. He says, he says, I'm going to butcher his accent, but he says, do you want to know your heaven or your hell? He said, I will tell you. He said, on the day of your death, on your deathbed, there will be a little boy or a little girl there. And if you know them, that will be your heaven. But if you don't, that will be your hell. So get to know your inner child. You know, that's the part of you that is just perfect and holy and lacks nothing and is adventurous and lives in a sense of wonder. And as my website says, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. I'm a testament. <laughs> Love that. Thank you again, Jana, so much for everything you've shared with us today. And we can't wait to share this with all of our listeners. Well, thank you for having me. Big hug to both of you. Thank you for listening to the Soul Connection Duo podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Your support for our podcast helps us to grow our amazing community and allows us to create new and exciting episodes each month. Please leave us a rating and review on your favorite listening platform and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for new content updates and more.